Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by CatholicSingles.com is ringing in the new year with savings for singles. You can save 20% by using the promo code BREADBOX when you register for a new account. Come meet other faithful Catholics and make 2020 a year to remember. Welcome to Liturgy Live for the third Sunday in Ordinary Time. I'm Alana Berg, and with me, as always, is Father Aunt Ian Van Heusen. How are you doing, Father? Doing well. Good to see Alana as Alana is sharing and doing her thing, uh, kind of letting everybody know that we're going live. Um, just to kind of start off with a little bit of an opening monologue. So it is interesting right now. The um, My first reaction to this week's readings is I felt like I just talked about this kind of thing like three or four weeks ago. Um, this definitely seems like a very Christmassy type um, type type readings. So we're hearing from Isaiah in the first reading, and then we're hearing a classic, um, you know, in, in Matthew's gospel, one of the classic themes is how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. So it's one of those quotes where Matthew points to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Now, there's a, a few things I want to talk about a little bit. Um, one, I've always, I've, I kind of always circle back to this. And at one point, I'm, I am wondering if it's starting to get a little bit redundant, but I'll circle back to it any, regardless, is spiritual psychology. So the, the, especially of St. Ignatius and the rules of discernment. So if you look in the rules of discernment, um, there's the particular rule of what are the strategies to get out of desolation? What are the strategies to use when we're in a desolation? And and. And the way I've interpreted it and the way I would flesh it out is there's three broad categories. So the first category to get out of desolation is what he says is prayer. Now, I think we need to clarify this a little bit, at least according to how St. Ignatius presents it, because there's in the later appendances, he gives methods of prayer. So when he says prayer, it includes vocal prayer, also praying with the breath with vocal prayers. So he says, take an Our Father, a Hail Mary, and a kind of rhythmic resuscitation with the breathing, which is similar to the Desert Fathers. So there's kind of a sense of pouring yourself into a prayer, maybe even praying with the breath and intentional breathing. He also has some exercises that appear to be like mindfulness, where you meditate on the five senses. But that would get into the second category, which is meditation which is when we meditate on things um, that can help distract us and help change the subject, but also illuminate from within. And then he talks about examining our conscience. So the question is often when we're in a desolation, are we in a state of grace? I started to realize that. Have you heard that a lot? I'm going to come back to a second before I get into my, my main point. Have you heard that phrase a lot? State of grace. Like, are you in a state of grace? Do you hear that from preaching? I know you've heard it from me at least a half dozen times. Right. I I mean, I've heard it a lot just because of my studies too. So it's, it's not a f- phrase that I think is unsaid in my area of studying, but from the pulpit, I don't. Like, maybe. yeah, like examining your heart bias. Cause see, there's a whole psychology when you're in a state of grace, the Holy spirit works on your heart in a certain way. This is, you know, nation's discernment 101. Um, which I would say it's not just Ignatian, it's spiritual psychology overall. So if we're in a state of grace, if we're persevering, 
one of the things that we can meditate on is the sense of today's Isaiah's first reading, this sense of fulfillment, future fulfillment, trying to really reflect on it and let it draw us out of ourselves, thinking about time and eternity. I think thinking about a future fulfillment when God's kingdom will come. And I know, of course, these are all strategies. Not every strategy is going to work the same all the time, but I, I have found that that can be incredibly powerful. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And to know, like, if you know if you're in the state of grace or not, then you can be able to discern what areas, what thing, tools you need to use to get either get out of desolation or deal with the desolation until exactly. it's yeah, work within it, work yeah. within it, function within it. Um, yeah, so I guess we haven't really talked about this as much. See, it's always funny. I always forget who I've t- told what. Because I'm just talking, I mean, I'm talking all the time. So it's like always a question of like, who have I told what and what have I covered where? Um, and then then just you have to repeat things. So it's like, how many times have I repeated things on Catholic Link versus homilies versus um, I do also, have you ever seen I do a sermon on Monday? I haven't done it. Um, I'm going to start it probably back up next week where I do a Monday sermon uh, on the rules of discernment where I've been doing a commentary. Have I showed a you A few that? of them. I've, I, a few yeah, of them. Yeah. And then we've had our own conversations on your page. Oh, that's right. On that's discernment. Right. So yeah, exactly. that's why it's confusing to know if you've told me it or not because we've actually talked about discernment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We have. See, yeah. that's, so we definitely talked about it at least on, um, uh, on, on, on my website. On, on Father Ian. Okay. Well, um, well, that's the thing is, is I, I've realized this and it, it, it never, it never occurred to me that having an extended reflection on the scripture would have a positive impact on your psychology. Like that, that insight. I mean, you kind of hear what people would say, like, well, think about this or books would think about that. But like I never really tried it, or maybe I didn't believe it until the past two or three years. Because what I've just found is, is I found at various times certain strategies will work and certain strategies won't work. Um, yeah. And I think different times call from di- for different strategies and to know what the strategies are and, and work through them uh, mm-hmm. is a really great way to, to discern what, which one, you know, part of discernment is action. And, yeah. and actually praying the different ways and seeing what, which ways work in that moment. And that might yeah. not always work all of the time in, that, in the moments you need it to, which is why there are different types, different types of prayer. And, yeah. and with the scriptures, I think it takes a long time, the pedagogy of like really getting to walking with Christ and really having it improve your life. It, the discipleship takes time. It's, oh, yeah. it's a long-term investment in mm. how scripture study and praying with scripture really, really, really can improve your life because then you have, then you get to look back and say, Oh, you know what? That did work. It's mm. not an overnight thing. It's a, it's really a long-term project our whole lives. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And, and, and maybe just certain strategies will work at certain seasons in your life as you kind of alluded to. Yeah. yeah. Let's get into the first reading. All right. All right. So from Isaiah. First, the Lord degraded the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the end, he has glorified the seaward road, the land west of the Jordan, the district of the Gentiles. Anguish has taken wing. Dispelled is darkness. For there is no gloom 
where but now there was distress. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those who dwelt in the land of gloom, a light has shone. You have brought them abundant joy and great rejoicing. As they rejoice before you as at the harvest, as people make merry when dividing spoils, for the yoke that burdened them, the pole on their shoulder, and the rod of their taskmaster, you have smashed, as on the day of Midian. Okay, so like you said, this is, sounds kind of Christmassy because it's, it's actually right before the Christmas reading, where, where, it's, um, where they give Christ the names, the, you know, the Wonder Counselor, all mm-hmm. of that. Um, so, it's, so it's really the beginning of the second um, prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah. So, and when we talk about the, the land where these people come from, these are, these are tribes of Judah that were the first ones to be uh, taken into exile through the Babylonian mm-hmm. exile. Um, so they're very far north. Um, so they're even when they say when they say Galilee, it, they it's actually like separate from when they say um, Samaria and Judah. So, so just to give you an idea, like a map-like idea, like where they're talking about, they're talking about the most northern part, also where Jesus comes from. Is the darkest part is the first part that was se- was separated um, and in exile from mm-hmm. from the tribes, and and is where Jesus Christ comes and starts his um, gathering back together of, of the tribes. So, and of course, he brings a great light, which we will see as a reflection in the gospel, um, that, that Christ fulfills this. And, it, and they say directly in the gospel that that is, that is so. Yeah. And so um, you, uh, in your research, did they say that the scholars say that they thought that this reading was a, a time when Niftali, uh, Zebul, and Niftali had already gone off into exile, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, but do they normally say it's like first, second or third Isaiah? Do they say anything about that? Um, um I mean, this is Isaiah eight th- to chapter at the end of Isaiah chapter. Have eight you ever heard nine. that concept? Oh, you mean, oh, you mean the books, the, the books of Isaiah? This first, it's the first book. Uh, no, that's they, they, they normally attribute there's three periods of Isaiah, stylistically. Yeah. Something to consider in the future. Um, I haven't looked at it in years, but I was just kind of curious. It's the book that, of Emmanuel. The theory on authorship that we don't want to get into, but oh. that, there, that there's three sections of Isaiah. It's there, from the first one. Yeah, from the first section, which yeah. makes that's what I was thinking because it's chapter eight. Um, okay. Well, yeah, the. Uh, and well, it's that classic thing, right? That Israel has to be brought low before it can be exalted, um, before it can and be renewed. Um, which I, I think we've discussed a little bit. Maybe it's a good thing to bring back is this idea of being brought low and then being brought, being raised up again. That there's always that cycle of. So one of the the classic things is they talk about purgative, illuminative, and unitive way, um, and then one of the insights of saying Ignatius is. There's a there's a purgative period, illuminative period, and then a unitive period, and so there's a sense in which Israel has to be brought low so they can trust in the Lord more, um, and, and and trying to recognize that um, that paradoxically trials have that kind of gift character and that they teach us to rely more on the Lord. Yeah, and to know that we are it is not through us 
that we do anything. It's, you know, to, to, for God to show his strength through our weakness is really, you know, like where we need to be, you know? Um, And a lot of times we have to be brought low and made to feel weak, you know, especially for us who live in, you know, in such a, a time where we do depend on ourselves a lot. You know what I mean? We're in, we're in such great, a such great time and place where, you know, we don't depend on the rain for our food, literally for our food right now. You know what I mean? In other time periods, in other places in the world. Well, we still do in a certain sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like direct. You probably have some, you have some friends there said they're probably farmers, right? You probably know a few farmers. Maybe one. Yeah. I know a farmer. We, we have a few farmers in our yeah. parish, but, um, well, you know, kind of connecting it a little bit, uh, one of the things, actually, I think this is something good to reflect on because it's kind of something I'm going through a little bit in my, my own personal life. I can understand now the, the five-year period, five period mark. They often say if a priest leaves the priesthood, it's within the first five years. So that's, that's kind of a critical period. And I can understand year four and year five because um, I think something similar, I think, that married couples go through, which is like, so for example, everything has gone great. Well, not everything. I mean, there's been some struggles, but for the most part, I've been successful in my priesthood really like in a lot of ways, I'm known as a good preacher, you know, as a good speaker, competent administrator, able to raise money, you know, check all those boxes off. But there comes a certain point where I think early on um, where the excitement of being good, which I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine for other people if they're, they're struggling and they're not doing well, but even the excitement of doing well, wears off a little bit and you're kind of less with a certain dryness. I think that with marriages as well, there's a, there's a dry period there. I imagine year five to 10 or so, I'm probably, there's probably something similar. So seven. like after the, what's up? Seven. Is that the what seven they year, The seven year itch. <laughs> Is that what they call it? Yeah. It's, but it's really, um, it's really having to embrace the mundane. Uh, you know, like uh, it's seven years, a lot of people kind of have a lot of what they've strived for in marriage. Like, you know, they, they, the wedding happened and they have a marriage and they, and they, you know, have children and they probably have a house, ha- you know, like all these things that they imagined for themselves. And then a lot of times they have, and then it's like, okay, what's next? And then, and then you feel dryness. You're like, and then it's like living with a mundane, like being able to persevere through every day life yeah which is mundane it's the little things that really drag you know it's not exciting to get up and have to do dishes and laundry and take care of kids and you know what i mean like it's it's hard but then to make it through that and have higher goals and really understand what you know yeah marriage like longevity of marriage is about it's is great you know but it you really it is a thing Well, and this is, I mean, so St. John of the Cross, this is at the heart of the dark night of the senses and the dark night of the soul, but within the the context of the holy hour and the context of prayer, which is, um, there comes a point where I think um, even the experience of regular contemplation is like, okay, I've I've experienced this now for years. Like, this isn't anything new. There's nothing that loses its newness. And, um, but earlier than that, but it's like the, you know, the, the constellations are very physical early on. He gives us sweetness. This is St. John of the Cross. So I've seen a great parallel between marriage and um, 
and, and yeah, marriage yeah. and the spiritual life and and and, and, and prayer. Um, so I can kind of see it because I mean I'm at the point now where I mean I love my parishioners, but they they don't they do, they're not excited about my homilies as much anymore. <laughs> no, they still I still think they like them. And I mean every fourth week I get like I get really motivated, but it's just like I mean last week it was just kind of like a like I mean. It was okay. I, I, I kept looking for the homily. I, I revised my homily four times. I did like four different homilies. Um, by the end of it, I was kind of happy with it. Yeah. Um, but, and, um, but yeah, you get that sense. It's like, and I know it's not because it's like bad preaching. I know I'm like prepared well. I know I'm, I'm doing what I need to do. It's just they're used to you. <laughs> yeah. And they know, kind of know what to expect from you. And then sometimes when they know what to expect from you, their brain kind of just like sh- shuts, goes into auto mode, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that that's even happens with kids. That happens with us when, you know, we're trying to like listen to a lecture or something. We're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I already know about that. You know, and your brain kind of just like auto mode shuts down. Yeah. You know, so I don't, I don't know how to work through that. I just know, but when, when you're talking about how that reflects marriage and probably, you know, the vocation of priesthood too, um, that the longer you are in it. So I've been married 15 and a half years and the longer you go through it and the more you've overcome, um, there is a different sweetness. There's a different type of excitement and more of a peaceful, you know, if things are going well, you know, hopefully for people, things are going well. Um, there is a peacefulness and a place of rest, you know, yeah. and, and when you get to, you're not at 15 years of priesthood yet, but yeah. when you get there, I hope that there is a, you know, a, a source of peace in, in where you are, you know what I mean? Cause you've been through, you probably will go through a bunch of different things as we all do in life. Um, and, and you, you will have the peace of Christ. So that's the whole point is, you know, like. Well, there already out. is in a certain regard. I think that the big thing is, is not defining your peace by your emotions, your passing momentary emotions, right? right? So yes, right now. Attachment. Yeah, exactly. It's cold outside. Um, I was a little bit tired, a little bit under the weather yesterday, which always stinks on Sunday. So, you know, not, you know, whatever, not like, it's just being like, okay, this too will pass kind of thing um, that it'll, it'll, um, and persevering. Um, yeah. But really being okay. able to rest, to rest in Christ's peace, that's where I think a good goal is. I mean, yeah. the end goal is heaven, but, but a good intermediate goal to, to strive for is, you know, finding Christ's peace and staying there, you know, like figuring out how to regulate yourself and moderate yourself and discipline yourself, you know, with the fasting and, and with feasting on at the right time, you know, just really actually following a, a life rule to really have that peace, no matter what. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And so going back to the reading is, is even though there's darkness, recognizing the promises of a return to light, that there, right. the, the, there'll be a greater fulfillment, um, you know, that, the, the, you know, the, uh, that that's the cycle kind of thing that takes place. Right. And then the peace that you can have that is Christ's peace is the, is your light, right? Is, is what keeps you moving forward with that light and sharing, sharing Christ. Absolutely. Proclaiming. Absolutely. So cool. We have a, we have a question from Nancy. She says, does living in a state of grace mean we live in a state of forgiveness? So maybe. Well, so what it means is, 
is that if we've committed a mortal sin, we've confessed it number and kind, um, that we've examined our heart according to the Ten Commandments and the Seven Deadly Sins. Um, and normally the Ten Commandments are, are sufficient. Um, I, the only thing that's not explicitly in the Ten Commandments is like drugs and alcohol. I think that's the only thing I found that like you have to mention outside of the Ten Commandments. Um, and uh, so you've examined your heart. You've gone to confession. Now, the, the tricky one, this is where a lot of heresies come out of, is your thoughts. Um, so, so, yes, Jesus says that if you would lust at a woman, you've committed adultery. There is a sense that if you engage, particularly it has to do with chastity, but other thoughts as well, mostly at the time is chastity. I've actually been surprised at how much of heresies, problems, misunderstandings, fallings stem from unchastity. People are like, well, you know, why does the church emphasize it so much? It's like, it really messes up people in a lot of way, unchastity, and they're unchaste. Um, but the thing with unchaste thoughts is I normally give people a certain window. So like, for example, if you have an unchaste thought and it arises and you, you work against it within a minute or two, I would say you're fine. So most people, what happens, they start to get scrupulous is they have an unchaste thought. They dwell on it for like 30 seconds to a minute and they feel the pleasure of the unchaste thought and they feel kind of dirty. So they convince themselves they're in a mortal sin. But I would say generally to be patient with yourself in that situation. Now, if you're like fantasizing for 10 minutes, yes, that would be mortal sin. Does that make sense? Is that, I, I, this is just my experience as a confessor. Cause I just ask people, people will be like, well, I didn't immediately dispel an unpure thought. Therefore I've committed a moral sin. I'm like, let's, let's back up a little bit. Um, are you talking like an hour? They're like, Oh heck no. I was like 30 seconds, a minute. They're like, well, when now that you say it, it was probably like a minute. I was like, okay, think of how short of a span of time that is. Like right. really. And, and how hard is then to recognize where you are? We talked about maybe yeah. last week or something. We talked about this, but to recognize where you are and then, use your will it takes a few seconds we're not automatic yeah exactly People, like to be able to engage think like realize where we are think about what needs to be done and then engage the will that takes some time and i mean and in the nature of the passions is when they're when they're excited they do tend to hijack reason a little bit so right. like like it takes a few minutes to catch up and be like oh i'm angry or oh wow i'm lustful right now right and and if it takes you 30 seconds to recognize that, it's like, that's actually pretty fast compared to some people to even recognize that, like, maybe I'm not using reason. I mean, yeah. like, who actually, like, how many people actually, like, do that? Yeah. Recognize that they're not using reason. Like, I, I don't know if that's something that people actually think. It is people. I mean, it's a little bit, there's a little bit of maturity with it. Yeah. Right. And that, not that people don't think like that. It's just not, maybe not those words. Yeah, that's those, what I mean. <laughs> not those yeah. words. Well, if you um, give them those words, if you give them those words, they actually will start to, and that that can help. Like that can help. But going back to my earlier discussion is a lot of like spiritual psychology and the wisdom of the saints hasn't been discussed as much. Even sometimes in seminary, I'm getting at um, one. Well, it's also I hate to say it. It's also it's the difference between at this point. Within a few years, I'll have more pastoral experience than most seminary professors. So most seminary professors start their academic career within two years of being ordained. 
Right. Like all my friends who are, who are, who are, who are going to be seminary professors, they're already in studying in Rome and they've gotcha. been for, for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I mean, like, yeah, you have to be, you have to have some experience and the more experience you have, you know, the better. But that, like in all my friends who are studying uh, to be uh, seminary professors, none of them have been pastors. Mm. Yeah, do you the, think there, do you think that that's a problem? I think it's just part of the system right now where if you yeah. want a guy to get a PhD and to have a good 15, 20 years of teaching, you got to kind of do it early. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I mean, you can't, it's hard to study for a PhD in your forties or fifties. I agree with that. And then what if your top guys get made bishops kind of thing? Mm. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it just, it just, they just don't have the experience that, that a pa- yeah. of a pastor. Yeah. Well, there's a certain point. Like, yeah. But, but going back to, I mean, I think that's where St. Alphonsus Liguori has a little bit of an advantage. He was not a professor. He was, uh, he was actually, he was more in the field. Um, and some of the works that are traditionally written, I think actually St. Alphonsus Liguori, the problem with it is translating it for a modern audience and translating it, even like integrating it. Cause this is a real challenge with the Summa with St. Thomas Aquinas and Liguori is it so technical that to do that integration work can be a problem for somebody. But mm-hmm. if you're able to do it and you're able to recognize the patterns, it's incredibly pastoral. Um, and he yeah. gets into this, like this technicality. Now, if somebody just picked up Alphonsus Liguori without, without some maturity, it can make you incredibly self-conscious. Like where, you know, cause he's dealing yeah. with like, like, and scru- like, like scrupulous self. It can make you very scrupulous. Okay. Yeah make you very scrupulous which is why why guidance in in the spiritual life is important exactly um yeah because that level of detail for some people it can be freeing for other people it can be excruciating yeah Uh, kathleen says wow so true so i think we were talking about you know like talking about how the, the uh the guys have to go through so much schooling to be to be pastors I think that's what she was. Yeah, to. or maybe she was talking. What's that response? Was hers was the question about because there's always a delay. It's a different person. Um, a different person. Yeah. So, but yeah. but I think just like what we're talking about when it comes to like the different experiences and stuff. So, yeah. but you ready for the, the Let's second, get the second reading? reading? All right. First Corinthians. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by Chloe's people, that there are rivalries among you. I mean that each of you is saying, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with the wisdom of human eloquence, so that the cross might not be emptied of its meaning. Okay. So, and he goes on to talk about how he only baptized like three people when he was there. And the rest who were baptized were baptized by somebody else. So he was happy that he, that people couldn't say that he, that they were in the name of Paul. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so he can't, couldn't, so people weren't boasting in him is, is yeah. from what I understand. Um, 
so go ahead yeah so i got i got this is like a low-hanging fruit for this um how do we interpret parish politics in light of the broader church politics liberal conservative traditional it's 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 a low-hanging fruit for that um the problem i i see I've, I've talked about this a lot in Eastern North Carolina. So a friend of mine is pastor down the street and we're talking about, and one of the problems we've seen particularly with folks who are traditional minded is they don't understand the local politics. Like in, in my diocese, yes, there's those elements of traditional liberal and those ideological, but actually deeper than those are actually personalities and local politics. And that's the problem when you're, when you're trying to assess situations in our diocese, it's not helpful to think traditional is good, liberal is bad, and conservative is somewhere in the middle or something. Because the, pro- the problems with that is it just it doesn't – you're not understanding the fullness of the politics. And in politics in a good sense, the interpersonal relationships between the priests, the bishops, the lay staff. Um, and I've really felt that a lot in the Diocese of Raleigh because we are such a small town and a small diocese. Right. And it's really hard because we're such a big diocese as the entire state. So, so politics on our level is just so different. It just covers. But it's such usually a while. the diocese of Raleigh. I mean, we're, we're big geographically, but, you pre- okay. but population, how big is the population of your diocese? 200,000? Maybe. Yeah. So it's, it's a small, but that's the thing is, is, like if you're talking like if you're in a, a one of your rural parishes and you have traditionalism it's like five people it's not we're not talking thousands upon thousands um and that's the thing in the diocese of raleigh you talk about traditional priests it's like three or four priests um it's right. not thousands upon thousands right and and i see i see a multiple like different fluxes from different people and I definitely love orthodoxy and that's like really where I would like to see, see it go. And, and I don't necessarily think labels are helpful. Um, Just like what the reading was saying, it's like you putting ourselves into groups is not what Christ is calling. It's the division that Christ prayed against, right? He prayed Mm -hmm. for unity and that we would all, you know, rely on Christ and be for Christ and live in Christ. and sometimes it's sometimes it's divisive, you know, like what's going on in, in our the, the worldwide church and in our local church, our local diocese that that it's not helpful, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels like, you know, the Internet makes it worse um, than better because the you know, not that there was ever a perfect time in the church, um, but I think it's easier to raise up saints when they weren't as concerned about how their faith, how they base their faith related to other people. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? I feel like there's a lot of like, well, I'm not going to do this because of this, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of like, instead of like, I feel, or I have discerned that God is calling me to do this and I'm going to do that because God called me to do this. Irrelevant of what else is going on in the church. You know, or just the fact of our people being authentic and living as true disciples, right? Which, which, um, that's that's a real problem is that ideological and theological purity 
does not guarantee conversion of heart. And so it's, I mean, this is something that's been talked about is that there's definitely, you just have to, you have to, you have to not like have blinders and try to see people and look for warning signs, like on a human kind of level. Right. Um, it's, it's about people discipling people, not about, and people solving problems. And it's like, it's about people. It's not about programs. It's not about, you know, like mm-hmm. how are we going to fix this? It's just like, who are we? Who is our identity in Christ? You know, we've talked about identity a lot. Who is our identity in Christ? And how, how am I called to serve other people in that identity? Yeah. And then and, and recognizing and just also trying to have some nuance in how you understand situations. So the big challenge is right now is out here in Eastern North Carolina, that you hear it from a few priests. I won't say who. Probably it probably won't be hard to figure out who they were. But um, and then I've heard it from a few lay people that they have some perception that if you have a guitar in the mass, you like sing um, anything from glory and praise that like you're liberal. And I can tell you this: even the liberals out here in Eastern North Carolina are really not like they're not Berkeley, burn your bra, like overthrow the patriarchy, radical leftists. You know, it's just, it's just for whatever reason, there maybe some of the priests were a little bit more liberal in their leaning, but they just grew up listening to different music. And, you know, out here, praise and worship is big, not because they're crazy liberal, but because this is Protestant country. And like every non-dominational church and their brother has a rock band now. So that's kind of like in the culture. Um, and yeah, and it's like, but I mean, politically, this area is about as conservative as you get, uh, which is, it's like, um, and what I've found over time is that really people want standard Christianity out here. Like that's, I mean, they, they may have strong mu- feelings about music. See, that's, a, it's always like music. Like that's the thing is like, that's the one everybody has a strong opinion about. Um, you know, that, yeah. that's the one that gets on my nerves the most. <laughs> Is music. Well, it's um, like it feels I, I'm saying, I'm not like there's something to something to uh, like. Well, if this, if there is a guitar, it equals this. Which, exactly. And it's not necessarily true, but it's also using American political terms for. And there's truth. There is truth. Yeah. There. I mean, right. there is truth. I mean, in certain areas. I mean. I'll be blunt. I mean, I, I've seen with priests, if they were certain kinds of vestments, I can almost bet you I could figure out how they voted for in the last election. Really? Like, but yes. what if they, what if they inherited those vestments? Nobody, nobody just wears vestments. They inherit okay. nobody. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But no. I think, I know I can, I can, yeah. I can almost, I could, I could, but could that, could that be somebody else's pet peeve? Like your pet peeve is the music judginess. And somebody else's pet peeve would be. Well, it's it's not. Investments are an intentional choice. So, generally speaking, what? Well, you don't necessarily. You don't. As a pastor, you can try to exert a lot of control over music. I tend not to. Okay. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, but with investments, what's the one thing? Honestly, it's the one thing actually that most lay people don't pick up on. Most people don't care about outside of priests 
So you notice because you that's something you think about a lot. Well, you just it, 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 there's there's all these kinds of signals. It's it's and it, um very rarely have I found. We well, we got to figure that they recently came out. It's funny. The, the the country was shocked by this. At least the art, the person writing the article was shocked. They said fifty percent of bishops watch Fox News. It's like so, about fifty percent of bishops are conservative, and fifty percent are are kind of liberal. Okay, I mean that's that's kind of a good indication of, but but yeah, I mean of where yeah. bishops fall politically, um, which is funny because in the the politics within the church, depending on the issue. You can kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Know. It's an interesting thought. But the vestment, the vestment thing is, 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 it's clear, it's clear giveaway. <laughs> oh, you're funny. Um, I just, but, I just but don't this have as much. Getting to, getting to St. Paul's point, though, this is getting to St. Paul's point. Somebody would say, "Well, there should be no division. They should all be one." It's like, okay, unless the bishop mandates a certain kind of vestment. Wherever there's personal choice, there will be certain tribal allegiances and things like that. This is where going into local politics is, this might shock you, might shock other people, but I have priest friends who are liberal. Like I, there's priests I associate with because I, I have to because we're a small diocese. Like you only have so many people around you. Like, you know, I can't, you know, you can't travel two hours and, and pass everybody up. You got to work with what's local. So like the one classic one was I was at a penance service in Fayetteville and there's this older priest. I love him dearly. My family thinks the world of him and he is crazy liberal. He like makes up his own prayers, completely doesn't follow the rubrics, but he's a really nice person. And I, and I know that there's deeper theology. I know that you have to follow the rubrics. Like, you, you know me, I'm about that. But like, you can like somebody even though you disagree with them, right? Oh, I, agree. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Well, you're commanded to love them. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Not even just suggested. It was commanded. And, and as much as this guy is crazy and he, he's, he has a heart of gold, he shows up for all that when we need the priest to hear confessions for the kids and maybe they're not the most orthodox confessions, but he shows up and he helps us. And it's like, and, and when, when you're dealing with the diocese where you're, you get, you're struggling to get three or four priests, you're grateful for whoever you can get, you know? Um, but yeah, it was funny. There was this one, he was wearing an album stole, like an old monastic style that was popular in the seventies with the big cuffs and polyester. I'm in cassock and surplus and a fancy traditional stole. And another guy there was wearing like khakis and a polo and, and like sandals. It's like, man, we're, we're all over the place. All over the place. There's no beautiful. <laughs> Isn't that what we're just talking about, being uniformity? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if unity is uniformity. I don't think unity is uniformity. No. Um, uh, but I think people would probably be, get political on that on you. I, well, so here's the thing. Political politics is extremely practical. It's practical. It's a discernment. Like you can't snap your finger as a leader and everybody change. And I can't snap my finger and change the diocese. I'm not the bishop. Like I, I have to work within the system that I've inherited within the, the, the networks that I've inherited. This is what I learned a lot from my dad in military thinking. 
is like my dad was in Iraq and he would have to tell new officers and new soldiers, like you have to get over the fact that they're corrupt. Yes. The Iraqis are corrupt. We've got that down. Like, yes, there's bribery. There's all kinds of misconduct. We have to figure out how to navigate within this brokenness. Like, and you can't snap your fingers and make everything perfect. Yep. Um, I mean, I think that's a really good point because definitely we have to do that. We have yeah. to figure out how to navigate, you know, amidst corruption and, you know, in spite of it sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. But, but also to not get to the point of what was it that we were talking a few weeks ago, learned helplessness. Yeah. Like, cause that's what, that's kind of what the, opposite end of it is is you know it's like there's so much corruption there's nothing i can do about it and you, then the shutdown yeah so i don't i mean i don't know what to do but besides uh, see, praying, I've, had, I've had no problem I mean, i've been very fortunate that i get to reform parishes and ministries and right. and, have, and have it work and be effective and you're able to be in control of what you can control and know that there are things that you can't control and then you just let that go and maybe that's it is, is like have one success and then duplicate it. Like, yeah. you know, the, the um, small, what is it called? What is, how does Jordan Peterson put it? The small feedback, positive feedback loop. Oh yeah. That makes sense. Um, they so call it like locus wins. of control. Like what do you actually have control over? What do you have influence over? Mm -hmm. Start there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and like as a lay person, I don't have a lot of control over parishes and I, I don't, you know, work within the parish. So I don't have any control anyways, but um, being able to work, you know, like planning on helping lay leaders, like that's something that I can control. And then I can do is, you know, bring, bring that support. Well, yeah, at some point you might have a small group that you can influence and you you have, you have your circle of friends. You have, mm -hmm. I mean, you do have an influence. Right. Um, when this is also a problem though, is people don't realize is, okay, think about your circle of friends. Can you just say something like a fiat and everybody does it? No. no. <laughs> Why do you think it's any different for a leader? It's just a larger scale. Like <laughs> if you can't fiat with your circle of influence. I mean, sometimes you can fiat like everybody do what I say. If like you're a military leader and like you can literally court martial somebody if they right. don't obey your orders. Um, but that's not the, the case with the church. Right. I mean, there's, there's a few people in the parish that you can fire, but even then, like when you're out here in Eastern North Carolina, you got to be careful who you fire because the next person down the line may not be that much better. So you got to really consider, you know, not just right. the person you're dealing with, but who's the next person, you know, there's only so many musicians that are Catholic out in Eastern North Carolina or right. want to live out here in Eastern North Carolina. Or which, which is so interesting because the other end of it, from things that I've heard is that people are afraid to say no. So that, you know, they just do what they're told. Yeah. So it's just, it's funny. Cause you're like, I can't just tell people to do something. And people are like, I can't just say no. <laughs> you yeah, know, from the like, lay side. More like menial tasks. Like, can you, can you lead this up or something? Right. But the adding of extra things above and beyond their job. Like all people who work. Yes. Like oh, that's just, yeah, that's just poor communication. Yeah. That's a little bit different. Yeah. That's a little but bit that's different. But that's how they, but people feel like they can't say 
have these yeah. boundaries. I'm like, well, you can. Well, you know, a, you a priest friend actually made a joke. Hopefully this isn't completely uncouth. He said, um, he said, I like to hire church employees that have dad issues because I know that they'll work extra hard to please me. <laughs> he was, he was joking, completely joking. He's spiritual director of like, <laughs> and that's where it's like, but I can see how that would actually be abused by somebody. <laughs> exactly. Like don't give people ideas. Like stop. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, but that's the thing is, is like, you have to like gauge sometimes, like, am I trying to like please a father figure or. Right. Right. And that's, that's a difficult thing, but it's also about being mature and having self-knowledge and being able to have boundaries and know, know what your battles are and what your battles are not. Exactly. Do spiritual direction and gain that self-knowledge. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah, nothing we're going to solve today, but I think it's a good conversation to have. Um, Ryan Fisher says vestments, music, politics. Wow. We're covering everything today, but none (laughs) of the, most of these things aren't even a square in our bingo so Mm. he says talking about music glad jen isn't here today she would be all over that oh she would and she's probably like she's probably super conservative she's totally (laughs) anti-guitar i know and it's like it's like an allergic reaction (laughs) 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 guitar and they like freak out and see i'm not a musician so i'm like i i i cannot for the life of me understand why good good father upsets people or like reckless love just like the sound of it i'm like i i i understand it's not gregorian chant but i don't find it like disruptive to my soul to like hear good good father now when there's like a drum solo like okay got it that that <laughs> I like when the really, drums. When we when we in. bring the drums in, that's where that's where it well, we have you. drums. I've had to explain this. I'm like, you can't like be like boom, 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 yeah. bam, like zero, and like okay, now kneel and be silent. What? <laughs> Just doesn't like work. You gotta yeah, have a little bit of a transition there. Right. Just like aesthetically, that I can kind of get. But most of your really good praise and worship artists are not like that. They're not. It's more the amateur. I had say amateurs, but the, the folks who are like, yeah. Yeah. Like we have a 16 year old in the parish who's doing, who's leading our praise band. And uh, I think he likes to rock it out a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Yeah. And then the musicians at ECU Newman, hopefully they don't do this this year, but last year there was a bunch of them that were seniors and let's just say the last mass was very interesting. I was like, <laughs> Oh no. I was like, Oh wow. But well, yeah, some things you can control, and sometimes some things are surprises. I mean, yeah, musicians are hard to control, I like hurting cats. <laughs> I would agree with that. My husband is a musician. There is no con- controlling music. Oh, is he in the praise band? You should. <laughs> he, he's not, and he he was playing bass for a little while in a different church we were at, but no, but not uh, anymore. The praise band. So we'll see. Rocking it out. Um, I, I'm. By the way, I'm actually. Everybody jokes around. They're like. I, I'm the only traditional that I know who's okay with praise and worship music. I, I have priest friends who are like in their twenties and thirties. They don't even know what good, good father is. Like, how do you not know what good, good father is or like reckless love? They just, they don't. Yeah. Turn on the radio. Yeah, they don't. They don't the stream they don't the stream, the Christian Christian uh, pod, uh, whatever it's called. We should get into the gospel. 
Yep, <clears throat> it's kind of long. All right, from the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that had been said through Isaiah the prophet might be, might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. On those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Followed him. He went along from there and saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. He called to them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. He went around all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and curing every disease and illness among the people. Okay, so we just saw the fulfillment of... The reading of Isaiah we just read, and, um, and the confirmation and I, of that I, in the gospel. This off the bat. I do believe the way of understanding this Old Testament, these Old Testament readings, where Jesus fulfills them in the New Testament, some people will scoff at the fact that they're not super precise. I believe that Jesus himself taught this. Like, not maybe not this particular passage. We can't say for certainty with any one passage, but this is precisely the road to Emmaus when he's talking to them after the, the, the crucifixion and he spent a lot of time with them. I think a lot of it was showing them and teaching them, not just showing them like X, Y, Z, this is but also giving them the tools to understand this because this is the whole way to read the old Testament. The old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Everything speaks to the person of Jesus Christ. Have you gotten into the, the church fathers commentaries at all? Have you, have you studied that? A little bit, and it's been a little while because of school and other things I've had to study. So, like Origin and some of these patristic commentaries, will the every part of the Old Testament they'll show how it points to Jesus. Even things like the Levitical laws. That's how you have Origin's commentary on Leviticus, um, and it's really neat to, to 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 learn to do that. I mean, it can be hard to do, but right, really, typo- I really like typology. I really yeah. like that type of exegesis where where you can find it where it was actually um, prophesized, you know, and how he complete, like completed that. I really, that's one of my, one of the things that like really um, gives me a lot of consolation. Just be like, this is amazing. Yeah. That, you know, like how brilliant is, is our Lord that, that these things just like have, you know, they don't just happen, like they're preordained. So it's just now, something I that's helped my is, faith. Actually, going back to my earlier point, I think, cause you talked about this like a year ago, um, and I kind of, I don't want to say I poo-pooed it, but I didn't really kind of like fully understand it. Um, there is something about that, that that abstract speculation on typology is illuminating and can help with consolation. Mm. Like yeah. that's been, is yeah. that easier for you to understand now? It is. It wasn't like a year or two ago when you first mm-hmm. mentioned that. Like, like I don't I, understand. <laughs> I don't like how is this connected with everyday living, right? Even yeah. 
I hate to say, but our Pope kind of encourages this thinking, like no abstract thinking. I don't care about abstracting. I just want what's practical. It's like, well, there's actually something profoundly practical about the contemplative, just contemplative gazing upon, wow, there's a plan. Right. Yeah. And especially the, there's a plan and we can, we have the ability in our time with the, with um, the exegesis and every, and all of the writings that we have access to, we have the ability to see that. And yeah. in other times there, they didn't necessarily have that ability. And this is a very explicit um, layout of that, you know, in Matthew's gospel saying, this is a fulfillment of that. You know, like that's what they had in these days. Like they just had a few of those in the gospels where we can go and we have the internet and we have all these, you know, versions of the the Bible and translations and we can go back and say, this goes to here. You know what I mean? There's been so much scholarship that shows us how the plan is interconnected. um, That it's just awesome. But at the same time, not everyone in history had that. So it is a blessing for us to be able to see the plan in that way and, and I think, like you said, a consolation to say like, okay, well, I'm part of this plan of salvation and somehow this affects me and how am I to make my own life decisions based on, you know, what does that mean for me and how do, it does relate to our lives in that way, in my opinion, that, that we, yeah. that we do have a hand in the history of, in salvation history. But I will say it doesn't, it doesn't need to be practical to be effective. The, right. the rest that you experience from gazing upon the truth of Jesus Christ is sufficient, is right. good enough in itself. That rest, that contemplative right. rest. And the peace. Looking at it with wonder and awe. Right. And that, and that goal of peace that we were talking about in the, earlier right. in the podcast, like that, that yeah. that's well, actually someplace that I can find it in that maybe earlier you weren't able to find it or understand it. You just know, didn't now. click in my head. Yeah, it didn't right. click in my head. Uh, and what I would say is, is I've often understood that there's two movements of discernment. And you actually, if you understand the spiritual texts, they're often emphasized one direction over another. There's the interior journey towards contemplation, towards rest, which is profoundly unpractical. You're not trying to solve problems. You're not trying to understand the world. You're trying to enter into the rest. Then there's a looking out, out the, at the world they're trying to solve problems and that's where you get your more Ignatian stuff. Like how do I look out at the world? How do I look out at things? And mm-hmm. I think even within Ignatius, there's the two movements. The first step is we have to move towards contemplation and encounter that stillness. And then from that place of stillness, then look out at the world. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Completely agree. And to me that com- is almost the same as, knowing our identity in Christ and then knowing what to do in that identity. So like being in the stillness is also being secure in understanding your identity in -hmm. Christ and then being able to know what to do in whatever circumstance, because you know who you are and what you're called for. And we kind of made, before I made that joke about the employee who has a dad issue. um, But, but that's part of it is like, are your decisions coming from a place of attachment? Like that you have these patterns that have been programmed into you um, where you're trying to please a father who's not there or you're trying to, you know, whatever. Right. And it's, which is a disorder in, in yeah. your um, intentions and, and why you do things is exactly. because you have, you have a lack of understanding of who you are and, and, you know, getting, getting the uh, love and attention from a father figure is, 
you know, not, not the right or, you know, it's not ordered to the right thing. Exactly. So. Exactly. There's no freedom in that. Right. Um, um, so we don't have any, any which I always have to, I always have to constantly deal with. Yeah. You have to deal with that when you're working with people. It's like, well, what's, what's going on? Mm-hmm. What, what's motivating this person? How is, you know, Right, and what not kind that, of not that you do therapy or something with people, but just trying to to read that sometimes. Because every now and then you get when you're a leader, you get you get a very uh, extreme response to something. You're like, oh, okay, got it. Let me let me back up and yeah. Kind of but it's also important in any type of teamwork is to yeah. ha- be able to have the trust and you know the the foundation of the trust of like knowing someone else and then being able to work with them in that knowledge. You know, yeah. and if and if there's disorders in that way, that knowing that there is is, is nice to be able to work around it or heal it. Um, yeah, pick up on especially it. from you. You know, since you're the priest, you can help work them work through healing. Exactly. But, but are you ready to pray us out? Yeah, let's do it. Do you have any intentions? Probably not. Uh, no, but uh, school is starting again. So absolutely, very well aware of that. Um, so. And Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we pray for all those who enter university and graduate studies. Um, they're heading back to classes. We pray for our families. We pray for our spouses and for our loved ones. Um, pray in a special way for all those who are hurting. Um, we pray especially for all those who work within the church, uh, that they may discover the stillness of the Lord, and that all of us may, may seek contemplation and seek to to enter into that rest. We ask you to bless all who will watch or listen to this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a good week, everybody. You too, Alon. So take me to the fountain that I seek. It's welling up, it's Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by. Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small batch artisan coffee using top tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts a new line of Catholic-themed coffees available at www.grimbeancoffee.com forward slash redboxmedia. Experience coffee like never before.